We concluded a systematic work through of the book of Galatians last week, and Steve gave the, the talk last week on that, so concluding our, our consideration of what Paul was saying to churches in Galatia. But we thought just in the run-up to Christmas that we would just have a little uh, skip back into chapter 4 and a reminder of the astounding reality uh, that God would be prepared to become like us so that we might become what he is and share in all that he possesses. J.I. Packer, who's uh, a well-known Bible theologian and author, he has said this, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. Incarnation means to come and to take on flesh. And we're going to think about that again as we read this little section from Galatians chapter 4. Now, Ian has already uh, taught us from Galatians chapter 4 back in November the 3rd. So if you want to track that one, if you haven't got it already, you can go onto the SoundCloud account and uh, you can access it there. But we're just going to focus in on uh, three verses there just for us to have a reminder of what it is that God has done. So Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's an astounding statement, uh, almost central in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. When the set time had fully come, we've understood, and Ian has helped us with this already, that it's not that God was orchestrating all of history to come to this point. And that's actually the way I'd always understood this until we'd looked at Galatians. But rather that God was just holding back and now the time had come for him to bring people into the fullness of being part of his family. Up to this point, God's purposes had all been about Israel. Now he referred to himself as their father, but they were a, an ethnic nation that through them, God was representing what he was going to do in fuller measure in a time yet future, that he redeemed Israel from slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, which Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians is a symbol of baptism, brings them to Mount Sinai to give them the law whereby they should live their lives according to his standards, and then gives them instructions as to how they are to worship him. That was all representative of what God was going to do in greater measure through his son, and bring people into the fullness of personal family relationship with God. Now that, not a, that had not been the case with ethnic Israel before. God had done something with them that was pointing forward to something that was much greater. So here uh, was Paul saying to first generation Christians in churches of God in Galatia, He's telling them of the tectonic shift that God has brought about that is astounding 
that individuals can now claim God as their own personal father. In all that knowing God as father means that is far superior than to any uh, relationship like it on earth. And not only that, he brings them then into the full inheritance. Not a land-based inheritance, which is what he'd given to Israel, but into the inheritance of God himself. Because we're told that as fellow heirs with Christ, as Paul puts in Romans 8, we inherit everything that Christ inherits. And Christ being God, everything is his. This is astounding. That God in his grace would bring guilty sinners. So when the time, the set time had fully come. It's as though God came bursting out of heaven. To come into humanity so that he might through his eternal son. Bring others to share in the joys of being a son of God. Now the language of son is there for a purpose. Yes, we become children of God through faith in Christ. And Paul's already said that in Galatians chapter 3. But he, he goes on to develop that and say, it's stepping into that which is um, to be a son. In the sense as it would have been in, in the days of the Romans. When somebody would have been adopted from outside of the family, a male person would have been brought into the family and would have been brought into the status and the inheritance of everything that the benefactor possessed. So they weren't a child by birth of that person. But they were adopted and brought in. And that person would say, yes, now you're mine. Uh, but you're my son. Now live up to that responsibility. So God was bringing things to this point where he was shifting so that individuals like us could step into the reality of through faith in Christ the eternal son ourselves say that we are children of God to grow into this reality of what it means to possess the inheritance of God himself Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 he was speaking about people in churches of God and he was speaking about humanity in general really but for us who can see it he said the culmination of the ages has come so Paul was seeing that this transition from God being occupied with Israel to now being occupied with individuals who then would give expression to his glory as they would serve him and do that together in churches of God. This was the culmination of God's purposes. Now, we're living between two advents. We're living between the arrival of the Son of God and he has said he's coming back. And we're in this period and we think there's, God has still got so much yet that he's going to do. Of course, that is right. But Paul says, the culmination of the ages has come on us. So, in a sense, all that God has been working towards, we live in those days. That's what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago to the people in Galatia. How blessed we are to be living in the period of time that Paul says is the culmination of the ages. That God is going to work everything ultimately to his glory. And for those who by faith in Christ enjoy him, now will enjoy him for eternity. It's going to come. And Christ is going to come. And he's going to usher us into the glory of God's purposes that are yet to be fulfilled. But we've already, we are already in that time period. The culmination of the ages. And the set time 
had fully come. God sent his son born of a woman. We say that so quickly. But in that is the greatest of mysteries. God sent his son born of a woman. This is the eternal creator God. The eternal son, we're told in many places in the New Testament, is the one through whom all things were brought into existence. And he is the one who sustains all things, including ourselves. Everything that we at this very moment are experiencing, being created and sustained by the eternal Son of God. And here Paul says, God sent his Son, this one, to be born of a woman, to step in to that which he had created. Now, when you stop for a moment and think about that, we just can't. How is it possible that the infinite God would come and step into humanity. It's a mystery, but we accept it by faith because that is what we're called to. He was truly God and he was truly man, Jesus Christ. He was fully God. He was fully man, Jesus Christ. He came to share in our humanity so that we might be able to by faith, lay hold of him as our saviour who would bring us into the fullness of God's inheritance. Athanasius, who's a 4th century uh, theologian, says it was our sorry case that caused the word, that's the eternal word of God. That's how he's described in John chapter 1. The word became flesh, John chapter 1 verse 14. It was for our sorry case, it was our sorry case that caused the word to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us. So that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form. And for our salvation that in his great love he was both born and manifested in a human body. We come to understand as we spend time in God's word why the eternal infinite son of God would be sent and would come to be born of a woman. It was so that he would share in everything that we are and demonstrate to us in his life the perfection of humanity. We've all failed at that. Born in sin. Because of Adam's sin, all sinners. And all guilty of sinning. And God must punish sin because he is righteous because rebellion against him deserves punishment and he is just and right to do that but in his mercy and in his grace God sent his son born of a woman the mystery of trying to get our minds around that is is astounding and the purpose of it is so that he would come to live the life of perfection and he would come to stand for us before God in his perfections for eternity. It's only because of him that we can have any access and standing before God. You know, he's born of a woman. It takes you back to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, God speaks to the serpent, who's some incarnation of Satan, present in the Garden of Eden, who deceives Eve and Adam, and they fall into sin. 
And God pronounces a curse. A curse on the serpent and a curse on the ground. Uh, because of what um, mankind has done. What humanity has done. They've fallen away from God. Listen to what God says there. He says to the serpent, you are cursed. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And you will strike his heel. Here was right at the very beginning of our Bibles. Whenever sin came in to the human race. God pronouncing the good news of the gospel. That there would be one born of a woman. Who would be the saviour. And he would do that by defeating and crushing the one who had come in. Who was the original one who had rebelled against God. But then brought that deceit into humanity as well. Through his actions. He would be struck or crushed on his head. But that he would strike the heel. One born of a woman. Christ became what we are that we might become what he is that's the truth of this phrase God sent his son born of a woman and in its context as we've read it it says so that we might enjoy the adoption of sons to step up and share in all that Christ has done now for that to happen he must become a man so that he would live that life of perfection that he would honour God in everything that he did and then, because of his love, present himself as a sacrifice to God on behalf of those who will have faith in him. So that they might step into this inheritance. Born under the law to redeem those under the law. You know, the law was given to highlight what sin is. Sin existed before the law was given. In fact, Paul speaks of there being a law within the heart of every person. So they know they're sinners. But the law was given and it highlights what sin is and it shows that human effort is futile in trying to um, achieve a standing before a righteous and a holy God. So Christ, the promised Messiah, God the Son who is sent, comes and takes on all of humanity's responsibility. He takes on our responsibility because we have a responsibility as thinking, feeling human beings to respond rightly to God and to live honorably with one another and yet we don't do that we see in the garden at the moment of sin coming in there's such a disaster comes it just comes instantly broken relationship broken relationship between Adam and Eve broken relationship with God of course broken relationship with the environment broken relationship within themselves it's all there we had a responsibility and we, we, just, we just turned away from God who gave us the responsibility and said, I'll, I'll take my, my own way. So Christ, the Son of God, God sent the Son, sent his Son, born of a woman, to step in and to live the life that we could not because of our sinfulness. He takes our responsibility and in taking on our responsibility, he takes on our sin. That's the reality of being redeemed from under the law. The law stands there to declare what sin is and to say to us, there's no way out of this. And then Christ is the one who appears 
And he has come to live under that responsibility that the law demands of a human being. And then he would redeem them. To redeem those who are under the law. God who had given the law submits himself to that very law as a man. Do you get the just amazing reality of this for us? <coughs> to redeem us who are under the law. Christ takes all of what is ours, including our sin, and he takes it to the cross. And there, as Hebrews tells us, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Paul has already said that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So not only did he come and live under the law, in submission and subjection to everything that God looked for in a human being, but then he was prepared in all of his perfection to then go and become the curse. So the curse of God's pronouncement against sin, because you've done this, this is the consequence of your sin. Christ in all of his perfection had done nothing deserving of judgment from God, but he steps forward to the cross and he takes, his, takes our sin on himself. And as Paul says, he became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged in a pole or on a tree. God the Son sent by God born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law by becoming a curse for us that we might receive adoption to sonship to be brought into this undeserved family relationship with God Almighty that's why this has happened Do you not just want to fall on your face and worship God for that? Seven witnesses were required whenever a Roman citizen was going to do this job of bringing a son into the family to adopt one. Seven witnesses. So that if there ever was any squabble after the one who's adopted had passed on, no, there's, there's seven witnesses. There were all these witnesses that saw this happen. That's what Paul had in his mind. This wonderful picture from humanity of somebody being brought from a place where they had nothing to be brought into a place where they have everything. And it's not something they could ever achieve or do for themselves. It's something that is purely down to the grace of the one who does the adopting. That's what God does for us. And the fullness of the time came, or when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Brought in, undeserving ones, to enjoy all that God is. John, when he begins his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 12, says, To all who did receive him, Jesus, the word who had become flesh, the eternal son who had come born of a woman, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The language is stark. Given a right 
God gives a right to people who deserve nothing because they've turned away from him. He says they have a right to become children of God through receiving of the Savior. So we receive because God sent his son born of a woman. We receive the status of sons. And we come into the full inheritance that Christ, the eternal son, possesses. You see it? Because God sent the son, we are brought into the status of the son. <coughs> Galatians 4 verse 7. We didn't read it, but it says, God made you also an heir. He already had an heir, which was his son from all of eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in the glory that is the triune, the trinity of who God is. One God in three persons. And within that loving community that is God, there had already been laid out that the Son will be the one to inherit everything that God already possesses. English language, Hebrew language, Greek language struggles to convey this. But this is here. And we're brought in to sharing with the one who inherits it all. We're brought into equal status. We are not, we do not become God. Of course we don't. That never happens. Reality is that God became like us so that we might become like him. And that takes us on to the next bit. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Here we see how God has sent twice himself to us. So often we stop before we get to this. The first little section that we've just considered is God sent his son that we might have and share the status of sons. But here we have, because we have become sons, God sending himself, the Holy Spirit of his son. So it's pointing us to the character of who the son of God is. Into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So we have status as sons because God has sent his son. But we gain the character of the Son because God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That's the reality for a genuine, born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God does not just bring you to status and say, You will share in the inheritance. The evidence. That you are a son who shares in the inheritance of the son is that the spirit's work in your life transforms your character to be like the son. And that demonstrates that you have the status. So God sends the son that we might share the status of the son. And God sends the spirit of his son that we might share the character of the son. And that points us right back to Jesus Christ, the son who stepped into humanity, that he might in his life be the example of what Christian character is all about because he is Christ.
You know, it's an answering of what God had said a number of times in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 33 is a favorite verse. God said, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God comes right to the very core of who we are. Sends the Son so that when we receive him, we have the right to become children of God and claim the status that belongs to the eternal Son. And then he has sent the Spirit at that same moment because he's the one who's brought us to faith. And he is the one sent into our hearts the very core of who we are so that we might gain the character of the Son of God. The two things are inseparable. They come as a package deal in God's grace for us. The double sending of God's grace to us. Are we sure that we're a child of God? We are not a child of God because we've grown up in a Christian environment. We're not a child of God because we have this commitment to to come to things that are associated with Christianity. Are we sure we're a child of God? Can we say and can we see that God has sent his son who has become the sacrifice to remove our sin so that we might share the status of the son and say also that he has sent the spirit because I can see his work in my life transforming me into the character of his son. That's what it means to be a child of God. And what's the evidence of it? It's that last phrase. It says, God sent the spirit of his son into, in our hearts. What does the spirit do? The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. I've been asked many times, and I've said this many times as well. Sometimes people will say, how do you know you're a Christian? I just say, well, I, I just know. And I'll go to Romans 8, where Paul <coughs> uses the same language. And in Romans 8, verse 15 and 16, he says, By him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's the test. If you have no sense of God as Father, I would say you do not have the Spirit. And if you do not have the Spirit, you do not have the Son. And you can see that you share the status of the Son because the Spirit is transforming your life in a process called sanctification, step by step, step to be more like Him. And the base evidence of that is you will cry out, Abba, Father. Because you realise you cannot achieve that life on your own. So you rely on God every moment of every day. We thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning. Mark records for us that Jesus Christ, God who had become flesh, born of a woman, to be our saviour was contemplating in all of his sinless perfection what it would mean to be the sin bearer at the cross. Mark chapter 14 and verse 38. In the anguish 
of the contemplation of what was to come in the next 24 hours less. It says he cried, Abba, Father. So when you're at a place where you, you just are at the lowest and you're, you have nowhere else to turn, does your heart cry, Abba, Father? Because if your heart cries, Abba, Father, it's because the Spirit who has been sent is in your heart, given by God. And that declares to you that you are a child of God. God sent his son, born of a woman, that we might share the status of the son, but he sent a spirit into our hearts so that we might cry out, Abba, Father, confirming the reality of what it is that God has worked in us, that we might become like his son. What we've done this morning as a church here is a remembering of this mind-blowing reality that God sent his son and has sent his spirit so that we might be brought into this relationship with God that is eternal, transformational, and affects the rest of the world. In 1 Corinthians 11, we're told that Paul said to the church of God in Corinth, who, who got out of, um, they got out of order in the matter of the remembrance. Some people were bringing their own food in Tupperware boxes and things, and they were tucking in while people who had nothing sat there and watched them eat. They turned it into just like a social gathering where you had some food, or if you didn't have any food, you didn't have any food. They'd lost the importance of the symbols. Every week when we come and gather as a church of God, every week when we gather as a church of God, encouragement to you to be there every week. And we take that bread and we share that together. And then we take the cup of wine and we share it together. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering the reality that we're just camped out in for a little while here in Galatians 4. That the eternal son of God was sent and took on humanity so that we might share his status and his inheritance. And we're remembering too that it's because of that then that God has sent the spirit into our hearts so that we might resemble him in our lives. And Paul rightly says to the church of God in Corinth, you be careful to discern the body and the blood before you come. You look at yourself before you come. And you come rejoicing that the Spirit says within, Abba, Father. And you can say, God, forgive me for the sins that I have committed that might spoil this moment in your holy presence and you come and you share together with everybody. We share one, one bread together. We remember it with one cup together, we, we share it. It's a sharing in the reality that God has shared in our experience so that we might share in his. Allow me to elevate the importance of what we do when we gather at the remembrance.
When we stop and think about the incarnation of God himself to bring us to that status and to allow us through the Spirit's enabling to gain the character of Christ. He has done that for us. It's there in tangible form, in symbol form for us when we're together for the remembrance. We don't come casually to that. We come worshipfully. You know, have the sense of worship in response to this. Spirit that is within Christ, Abba, Father. Let's thank God for his word.